Blog Talk Radio. Mr. Don Hector, Mr. Roy Cummings, and the most MVP of this team is Mr. Frank Carroll. 
Roy, it better tell we whatever it is. It's time for trick or treat. And guess what? Guess who's coming down to Tampa to play a little trick for the Bucks? James Winslow. I heard you on the other night on a local great sports show talking about your upset special. Tell everybody about your upset special. Well, uh, certainly, I don't. I, 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 would it be an upset if the Saints beat the Bucks? Would that be an upset? I, I'm not so sure, to be honest. Trick or treat. Yeah, well, it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting game. It, it, it'll be a good one. Um, two defenses that are you know look kind of ordinary right now, and two offenses that are very capable of uh, uh, scoring at a at a high at a high rate. So um, I don't think it would be an upset if if the Saints beat the Bucks here. Um, I don't. I mean, the key I think is you've got to get uh, you got to get ahead of Jameis Winston. If you, uh, if you if you get a lead on Jameis Winston and, and put him in a situation where he's got to throw the ball, uh, that usually leads to trouble because um, he'll he'll tend to try to you know make plays that he shouldn't, and right. uh, that yeah, usually uh, results in trouble for him. So we'll see how right. it goes, but uh, going to be an interesting, uh, going to be a fun weekend for sure with, uh, with that, no doubt. <laughs> Roy, I'd like to take care of a little old business that I don't know the answer to. And, and uh, one of the things that uh, I really talked about over the weekend and beyond, uh, a lot of folks along the line maybe didn't have a chance to see the Buccaneers game last Sunday. But what Evans caught that pass, which was the 600th touchdown pass all time for, obviously, for Brady, he uh, obviously did not realize that that was the significance of that ball and as he went back and handed it to a fan. Now, what has been the outcome of that? They, they showed great detail of somebody from the organization going over, talking to them, and you saw Brady go over and give him a, a few souvenir things and sign. What has been the outcome? Because everybody you talk to said, wait a minute, that's a $200,000, $300,000 ball that uh, he went over to try to recollect. Uh, what is the outcome? Yeah, well, we don't know the detail uh, of exactly what was, you know, what what, what was negotiated there. Um, the, the ball is, you know, is now in the hands of the Buccaneers and in the hands of uh, Tom Brady. Right. You know, what's funny is that Tom Brady didn't even realize that it was his 600th pass, uh, touchdown pass. So uh, everybody kind of missed the moment there, um, except uh, obviously, you know, television and uh, the league and uh, the officials and. Uh, some people on the sidelines, but the players themselves, uh, Tom Brady included, and uh, Mike Evans had, didn't realize what uh, <laughs> what had transpired there. Exactly. And, um, you know, give, give them credit for being focused on what they should be focused on, which is uh, playing football, winning the game, and uh, not concerned on statistics, but um, and, and maybe even history. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, kind of an interesting moment. Now again, the negotiation from what we heard on TV, it, it didn't appear as though it was very much. I think it ended up being something like a signed jersey, maybe a meet and greet. Uh, I, I would hope. I can't believe it. I, I just can't believe that's what's going to happen. Well, I, I would think that. I would think that at some point, you know, maybe Tom Brady would have done a little bit more, unless it doesn't matter to him that much. You know, when you've thrown 600 touchdown passes. <laughs> Does numbers does the ball for six hundred matter any more than the one that, that you know you won your six or mm-hmm. you know six Super Bowls with? I mean, at the end of the day, um, you, you've only got so much room in your house, no matter how big it is. And he moved out of uh, 
Derek Jeter's house here in Tampa, which uh, was the size of a Best Buy. Um, mm-hmm. So, he, you know, he moves out of that. Uh, so I don't know how much room he's got in his uh, trophy case. Uh, you know, probably plenty of it. But, you know, that might be a ball that's uh, headed for the Hall of Fame anyway, as opposed to uh, Tom Brady's uh, personal showcase. So we'll see. Exactly. But, um, I think that's no question. That'll be, that'll be a ball that'll go to, to, to the showcase yeah. and uh, for the Hall of Fame. I don't think there's any question yeah. about that. But, uh you know, it's not like, you know, when Tracy Stowell threw that pitch up to Roger Maris and he hits a home run. And, uh, you know, in those days, no, there was really no problem about giving a souvenir back or giving, you know. But this day and age, as they said on the postgame show, which I was a little surprised about, on the postgame show following the game, the first thing they said is, holy cow, what is this guy doing? He's giving away $200,000 ball here. And, uh, <laughs> well, well, does anybody really think it's worth $200,000? Like I no. said, who no. wants the ball most? The league, probably. Uh, does Tom Brady thing. really – Tom Brady didn't even know what happened. So, obviously, it wasn't – and I'm sure once he thinks about it, it's like, ah, great, okay, I'm the first guy. But he was also the first guy to have 599 touchdown passes. So, it's <laughs> yeah. not like, you know, he's – it's not like he's uh, – uh, you know, it's, again, it's a milestone ball. I don't think it's worth that much, maybe two grand. Um, I thought what was interesting was the, the commentators on, on TV were talking about, you know, negotiate some season tickets out of that or something. And I think that's a that's a good idea. Um, to me, that would make sense. Um, you know, but Gotta I think, come up you know, something. yeah, well, look, there's certainly value in a signed, uh, in, in an extra football signed, dated the whole bit. Tom Brady, Mike Evans, maybe even uh, other members of the team signing it. Uh, there's certain, certainly value in that. Uh, there's certainly value in the meet and greet, and there's certainly value in a signed jersey, especially if it's a game-worn jersey uh, by Brady himself. So, um, But, again, I would think, to me, my guess is the Hall of Fame wants that stuff more than anybody else, and it's likely that uh, the Hall of Fame is probably not going to spend $200,000 for a ball. Um, so, you know, we'll see. <laughs> Uh, so, so I think at the end of the day, whoever negotiated it uh, probably came out with what uh, you know what, what, what the true value was. We'll, we'll find out, Tommy. Let's get to more of the present day. I just wanted to go back in history yeah, and see what because Roy's a lot closer today. I, I don't I don't see the paper, and I'm not in Tampa, so I, I just don't see that uh, you know what the follow up was. So, thank you very much, Roy. Go ahead, Tommy. Go to something new. Here's what the follow up is. He gets two gets two helmets signed by. You know, Tom Brady, a Mike Evans signed jersey, football bought a box and, and, and the twentieth and season tickets for next year. That was the whole negotiated plan. So the, the fan came out and so you're gonna kill Brady's gonna be in the Hall of Fame, he gets two helmets, Mike Evans possibly might be the Hall of Fame. He gets tickets, season tickets for the Bucks year. So he came out for just being courteous to the to, to Brady and well, let's go to let's go to something new. And, and Roy, think, uh, yeah, Don, how think, about the World Series? What, what's some of your thoughts about last night's game, and also the hey, fact Don. that the Braves got there, which was a surprise uh, to a lot of people, and they're certainly the big underdog in the series as well. Your some of your thoughts on the World Series? Hey, Don, before we move yeah, on to the, that, uh, I think that uh, there was a much classier thing done after the game that uh, right. not a whole lot of uh, was picked up on. There was a little boy who has cancer, and he oh, has a oh, sign. I saw that, yeah. They had to see it. And he went down there, gave him a hat, gave him a ball. I think that showed oh. class, and, and we, should, we should allow that. 
Oh, I, I'm oh, not questioning right. anything yeah. that happened. I'm just saying that uh, yeah, in yeah. this day and age, the way people mm-hmm. <laughs> the way people collect souvenirs and sell them, right. I mean, it, yeah. it's it's unbelievable to me that somebody's going to pay two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand for a signature or a baseball, but they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I, I don't have any. I'm not a souvenir guy. I don't have any souvenirs. But uh, that, that's just, uh, and I agree with you, that, that was a follow-up story about the young fellow uh, having the cancer and all the rest of it. That was a great story. But uh, let's get back to the World Series momentarily here. Roy, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, uh, I think it's a, it's a great matchup, obviously. Um, and uh, I think that the Astros missed a great opportunity last night. Uh, when you knock out, literally knock out um, – knock out uh, arguably the best pitcher for the Braves uh, two and a half innings in, um, you're, you're in pretty good shape there. You've got a chance to, you know, to really take advantage. I mean, every team has uh, done a good job, it seems, of getting to the bullpens and, and getting in and, and, and you know, kind of taking advantage of the bullpens in the, in the playoffs throughout the, you know, since it began. So, uh, but, so I think it was an opportunity lost for Houston. Um, but uh, you, you can't knock uh, anything that's happening with the Braves right now. Uh, They're coming up with clutch hits when they need them. Uh, the bullpen has been very strong. Uh, they keep throwing lefties at you, and boy, oh boy, they keep uh, they keep they keep uh, fooling fooling the hitters. So um, off to a great start. Anxious to see what happens tonight. Another thing that surprised me a little bit was when uh, they decided to bring Jackson in after the you know the debacle he had in the. Uh, you know, in the championship series, they had a 5-2 lead. He gave up three runs. I was surprised that he was the one they went to first, and, and yet he did a great job last night. Uh, I think they, they gave up one hit and two innings or something, but no runs. Uh, but, boy, the way they hit him in the, in the championship series, I, I would have I thought he would have been the last guy they would have gone to right away. Yeah, it's, I see where you're coming from, but one thing as a manager you have to do is you have to have a short memory. Uh, look, it's been what you know, three, four days since uh, since he pitched anyway. A different lineup. Uh, he's a guy that you counted on throughout the the course of the season. Um, so you know, I, I to me it makes sense. And usually that stuff is pretty much planned out. Um, you know, who's your who's your go-to guy if if uh, you know if you, if you have to go to the bullpen in the third inning? Who's your go-to guy? if you don't have to go to the bullpen until the sixth or seventh inning. Uh, right. That stuff's usually pretty well matched out. And, again, you've got to have confidence in everybody. If, you know, if he gets hit hard again last night, well, then it's probably a different story going forward. Um, but um, I think with three, four days rest, and, hey, that's one thing that it's hard to quantify right now is the fatigue factor for the arms in everyone's bullpen. Uh, we're, you know, obviously down to the Braves and Astros now, so they're the only ones that matter. But, but I think fatigue was a big part of that uh, in every series, uh, in both championship series for sure. Uh, fatigue was a factor because uh, starters were getting knocked out early. We talked about it last week. And uh, suddenly you've got bullpen uh, guys in the bullpen who are used to pitching maybe one or two days in a row and pitching for an inning, maybe an inning and a third at the most in those two straight days, now pitching – two-plus innings, um, back-to-back and back days, so maybe three days in a row in some cases. Uh, I think some fatigue set in for those guys. So they probably had a chance over the course of the, la- of the weekend to uh, uh, rest up, uh, get the arms back, uh, uh, at least get them uh, re-energized a little bit. And I think you saw that last night out of really out of both bullpens because not much happened. Uh, we didn't see that big explosion 
um, offensively, like you know we saw in in almost in almost every game, somewhere along the line it seems someone had a big inning, and we didn't really see that big inning. I mean, two innings, you know, two runs off the top, and then three more for the Braves. Those are, those are big, but uh, not as big as those six and seven run innings we saw uh, from the Red Sox at times, the Astros obviously, and uh, and also the Braves against the Dodgers. So uh, a little bit different that. series, I think. The team that got Gentlemen, the biggest surprise was the, the Dodgers. Who would have thought that Scherzer would not be able to pitch, had a dead arm? Now, he did. I mean, they worked him to death the second half of the season after being traded over there. But, I mean, you're talking about a pitcher of that quality, and all of a sudden, the day before the last game of the year, he comes up with a dead arm. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, Don, I think it's interesting. Look, I mean, that's, these things happen. As I said, it's late in the season. When you start working guys a lot, uh, and don't forget, you know, now let's not uh, eliminate the factor that when these guys are in these big games, they're out there, the adrenaline's, you know, rushing, and these guys will end up trying to throw harder than they usually do. They're going to put a little something extra behind And he's not a kid, him. Roy. He's and not, he's a, not kid. a kid. Exactly. Absolutely, Roger. You're absolutely right. And here's the other thing, and, and Roger, I'll let, you, I'll let you pick up on this. I thought I found it very interesting I think one of the one of the factors here, of all the teams in the playoffs this year, no one had more pressure to win and win it all again, even though they did it last year, than the Dodgers. Because you right. went out and you gave up assets and you brought in Max Scherzer, you brought in Trey Turner. You know, you're basically playing to win now. It, there wasn't any talk about, you know, well, this is this is setting us up for next year. Uh, they'll worry about next year, next year. They're trying to win right now, and I think the pressure was on them. And, and I think at the end of the day, some of that pressure, uh, you know, probably got to a couple of guys. And, uh, again, when you're throwing that hard and the, the adrenaline's going, uh, I think it's pretty easy to throw your arm out a little bit and get fatigued, and I think that's what happened with Max Scherzer. Go ahead, Roger. We you didn't know, know you were I, on I, yet. I thought you were still <laughs> well, we waiting I'm for I'm sorry. You. My apology. I missed the first ten minutes. But I wanted a couple things. I don't know whether you talked about uh, – Charlie Morton. Uh, we, I know, Roy, we talked about it, all of us, last week about the importance of him. And I got to tell you, what a, what a guy. I mean, uh, last night after his, as uh, he didn't know it at first, obviously, uh, his leg uh, broke, I guess the tibia. But the, I think that, that there is a guy year in and year out, comes out, pitches, gets the innings, gets you pretty much deep in the game. I don't think – you know, that's like old-school starting pitcher, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I don't think he gets enough credit uh, for it. Um, you know, he's been with uh, only a couple of teams here. He's been successful wherever he goes. Uh, you're right. He's a workhorse, and uh, he, is as, uh, he, is, he is as solid a pitcher as there is in baseball right now. He doesn't get the recognition that a lot of other guys get, uh, you know, that the – uh, Clayton Kershaw and even Scherzer, as we talked about, certainly doesn't get that kind of recognition. Um, but he's right up there with every one of those guys. He's right up there. And, again, this is why, you know, here in Tampa, guys, it was really kind of devastating uh, for this organization to lose him and Blake Snell. I mean, Blake Snell is a different deal. But when you lost Charlie Morton uh, after everything that he gave this organization a year ago, uh, to see him go to another team was really tough. And um, I'll tell you what, come game six and seven, uh, if they end up having to play it, uh, the Braves are going to miss him. They are going to miss they that are. man because Absolutely. he is he is a workhorse and he is a gamer. And 
I mean, you saw it last night. Here he is with a broken leg, and granted, it's you know probably a technical thing that he's got a couple of you know fractures in in the tibia. But the bottom line is, he was out there trying to pitch on a broken leg, and uh, there's yeah. no underestimating that. Well, let me get your opinion, all three of you, uh, your opinion, because uh, I'll hold mine back as I let you guys comment. What do you think the series ratings are going to be? Mm. Well, I'll start off because they're not going to be as great uh, as they have been. I doubt that they'll set any records, and there's a re- there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, um, Houston and Atlanta uh, does not include, uh, you know, you're not talking about major markets. Um, Houston's probably turned some people off. Uh, Atlanta's a nice, uh, a nice baseball market, but um, it's not a great baseball market. I don't think it's exceptional. Roger, you might have different thoughts on that. But it's not New York. It's not L.A. Um, it's, it's not Chicago. It's, um, so I think you're going to lose something there. And then the bottom line is, uh, unless they include streaming services and things like that, uh, the, the the ratings probably aren't going to be what they've we've seen in the past uh, because no nobody's ratings are what they what we've seen in the past except the Super Bowl um, because uh, people are seeing games in different ways now they're not watching it live necessarily uh, they're not all watching it on TV um, and again uh, you know I don't mean to take everybody's fire here but you know, they start these games we got a 7:30 game coming up at one point here but most of these games are starting at eight o'clock uh, you know and they're they're going until midnight and um, and pa- and past it. So you know that the ratings are going to probably fade uh, after ten o'clock. So um, not not good for the ratings race, that's for sure. Roger. Well, yeah. Well, a couple of things. I think that there's a uh, element in the population uh, that still uh, hate the Astros for the cheating. You know, a couple years ago, uh, number one. Uh, so that may uh, bring out uh, viewers. I agree with you, Roy, about the four hours, but I would like to have it all broken down on how much actual, actual baseball is played. There are so many commercials and the breaks between, uh, you know, half innings and stoppages are just absolutely ridiculous because during the regular season, there's a limit uh, on, you know, between innings and, and the breaks. But I, I think that that's what the killer is. I mean, I stayed up and watched it to the end. Saturday night, I was up until 1 o'clock watching all of the post-game festivities uh, from uh, the ballpark. Uh, I will say this. Atlanta is much more of a baseball town now than it was, I would say, uh, back you know, at Turner Field. Uh, because Truist Park is a totally different uh, venue than than uh, Turner Field. Turner Field was beautiful. Been there a number of times. But you have to remember, that was really designed as part of an Olympic stadium. You know, and then they took the section away uh, to convert it to Turner Field. And it was, they were there 20 years. But just uh, people that have been to both uh, have said that the, uh, the, the just the atmosphere at uh, Truist Park is far superior than uh, anything in the past. Tommy, I think it's a bad market like sober baseball. It's <clears throat> all the time. The land after the forty nineties always lost. So I this series all qualifies A. Those two in the World Series B. 
Tommy, you're, you're breaking up. You don't want to speak. Yeah, we can't hear you, Tommy. We, we, we can't hear you, Tommy. So hold on a minute. We'll go. I'll just throw oh, in a quick on, comment, and then we'll, we'll, we'll change the subject. But my feeling is, and I, I go back to what Roger said a second ago, which amazed me, to be honest with you. The New York Post didn't do anything on Monday except dwell on the fact that this was the cheating team. And it, uh, <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's amazing to me. I mean, most of the season – they pretty much forgot that. I mean, even going to visiting ballparks and so forth, it's something that happened in the past. They made their decision. They gave them the world championship. The post was loaded with nothing but, boy, this is going to be retribution. You know, they should, if they lose, nobody's going to care whether they lose. I mean, you might be right, Roger. That might have some effect on what the ratings are going to be when it's all over. But I think it's going to be so bad ratings, like you said before. You know, Houston cheated that team. Atlanta had all those chances to win the road series and under Bobby Cox, and I think people are flipping. We got a, we got a hold it right there. We got we got our next guest coming up, and we don't have enough time really to, to really give him a full look is what I want to talk about. So, uh, Roy, once again, thank you very much. We'll get together with the Bucks again and uh, talk about what's happening with the World Series next week. Look forward to getting together with you. Thanks, Roy. Pleasure's always mine, guys. Thanks Have for a great me. week, Roy. Thanks, Roy. You guys. Thanks. Next, next, we don't normally do book reviews, but uh, I tell you, we we got a I had a book sent to me and race against uh, a race <laughs> against race, and it's uh, authored by Bo Dean Sanders, a young man that uh, was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida, mm-hmm. and always had a dream of playing football. In his early days, you couldn't play in Pop Warner. You couldn't play in the uh, uh, Little League uh, football or baseball operation because his mother was very concerned about him being involved in any of the sports. So he missed out on all that. He didn't really get a chance to play till he got into junior high school. Bo, first of all, welcome to our show. And second, mm-hmm. pick it up from your all-black high school in Jacksonville, Florida, to first of all getting to Cheney and then to Villanova. Well, good evening, Don. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate the opportunity. It's a pleasure. Uh, I, I, I have a, a few family members in, in the Central Florida, West Florida, Tampa area, so hopefully they're tuning in because I sent them a, a message. So let's hope they did mm-hmm. follow I'll through. Well. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and, you know, my mom, I had a brother, who was one year older, and I had uh, two other sisters. And so, but my mom allowed my brother to do, in terms of sports, to do anything. He could stay after school for basketball, whatever. But when it came to me, she was not having it. So I, I, I was a late bloomer when I started playing football in junior high. They call it middle school now, right? So. Correct. I was a late boomer. I was behind the eight ball, but I worked really hard and and trained as hard as I could to, to try to catch up with the kids who had been playing since, you know, they were little in, in peewee and pot water football. So uh, I, I do I do pretty well. Um, I get to high school, participate, try out, make the team, and, you know, life is going well. Um but I did not earn a college scholarship because 
I took one for the team. I was a really good defensive back. I was a, I was what they call a thumper. And my head coach, Don Gaffney, who was a quarterback for the Florida Gators back in 1973, the Gaffney brothers coached me in high school. They moved me to offensive line, tackle, to protect the quarterback because I was a tough kid. So that hurt my chances of getting looked at and earning a scholarship. So by the time I graduated, I had teammates who were offered scholarships, and they took advantage of those scholarships. One teammate went up to a small school we thought was a small school up in Boston called Boston College to play with a guy by the name of Doug Flutie. (laughs) So one of my teammates got a chance to be a wide receiver for Doug Flutie, and then some of my other teammates – uh, played at Central Florida, Ohio, Troy, North Carolina, but I had nowhere to go. So I had to, I had to figure out how I was going to get to college. So I was and throwing no money. <laughs> with no money. So what did I do after I graduated high school? My sister drove me down the street to the local mall. I got a job at J.C. Penney's, and I started saving money and and giving my mom some to help her out with the bills because she was. Re- basically raised four kids, right, on her own after my mom and dad got a divorce. And so I was thrown a Hail Mary. My godmother, who lived across the street, my sister, who was at Bethune-Cookman in Daytona Beach, uh, and a couple of her Oh, John Chaney. Yep, yep, Mm -hmm. yep. That's right. And John Chaney was actually born and raised in Jacksonville. That is correct. Yes, yes. So, I want to also, uh, uh, first of all, tell you very quickly, because I want to get your story, not what we do, but Roger's from Philadelphia. He's in Atlanta now covering the show, and, and it covers everything in Atlanta for us. Tommy Gilbert's in Tampa, Florida. Frank is uh, between Sarasota, where I am. I'm in Sarasota, and he's midway between me and Tampa. And uh, so we cover all over the uh, the eastern seaboard with our mm-hmm. show each night. But uh, Frank went to and graduated from St. Joe. Uh, Rogers of Philadelphia through and through and went to school in Philadelphia Temple. I broadcast Temple football and basketball for 20 years, worked with John Shandy every day from the time he came to Temple University. And uh, so you, you're talking to people from Trenton, and when you talk about Shandy University 20 miles outside of the city of Philadelphia, that's where you got your first chance after mm-hmm. laying out for the first semester. You had to go at Christmas time. That is correct. I got a, a Hail Mary was thrown my way because I had a high school teammate who was invited to um, attend Cheney and try it for the team, and he did. So he was there a, a one semester before me, Reggie Northrup. And so I was thrown a Hail Mary. Next thing I know, I come home from work, and I was told, you're going to college. <laughs> I'm going to Cheney University. So we head up 95. I get to Cheney University, and everything's great. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, I, I keep my head in my books to make sure I get good grades. I'm trying out for spring football so I can make the team in the fall, and everything's going great. And then one day, one day, a guy by the name of Happy Dobbs, who was the point guard from Villanova, had a high school classmate at Cheney, and I was invited to go to a party at Villanova. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went, and I had never seen a school 
or heard of a school like this in my life. One dorm not only had, you know, uh, was a, a dorm that you would traditionally sleep in, but they had, the dorm was so big, it was part of the nursing school where people would take classes. It had an indoor pool, an indoor basketball court, and a cafeteria. So if you were lucky enough, you didn't have to leave the building, right? But also jump Couldn't ahead, Bo, because we don't have a lot of time. I, I, jump ahead because what happened here was you went with your friend to Villanova to take a look for the weekend, and uh, uh, the group of people that you went with were black. And you yep. uh, you were introduced to the athletic director, and he said, uh, you know, talk to you about football. Would you think about coming to Villanova? You'd only been a half year at Cheney. And when you went home, you thought Villanova was a black school. That is <laughs> Don, you're absolutely right. What happened was mm-hmm. when Happy Dogs invited me over, he invited me over for what was called a black cultural society party. It was Easter, the beginning of Easter weekend. So that means everybody went home except the people who stayed for the party. So I only saw people that looked like me at the party and and walking around the next day on Saturday, which was the day I met Ted Aceto, the athletic director. And so uh, I heard they dropped the football program after Howie Long got drafted. They were bringing it back in the fall. I saw the turf football field. I had never played on a turf football field. I had never seen one in real life. So this this campus was incredible. I'm like, this is the opportunity to go from a Division II program to a Division I AA program because you can imagine, Don, I grew up watching Florida, Florida State, Alabama, Georgia, you know, we have the the, the Florida-Georgia game in Jacksonville every year since I was born, right? So Coming right. up Saturday. <laughs> Is it this Saturday? Yeah. This Saturday, brother. This Saturday. Oh my. Go, oh <laughs> So I grew up watching big-time big time football. So the opportunity to step up from Division II to Division I AA was, you know, mm. was a, a dream. So I go home after the end of the semester. I get home. And I wait until after my my baby sister graduates high school, she was a year behind me, to spread, to break the news with the family at the dinner table. And my sister from Bethune-Cookman, who was instrumental in getting me into Cheney, I told her, and she was not happy. And I said, said, listen, Villanova's a black school, or at least from what I said. Hey, guys, here's what she said to me. She said, just because Georgetown has all black basketball players doesn't mean Georgetown is a black school, (laughs) right? So after having conversations with my godmother who worked for uh, FCCJ um, uh, uh, and and my sister and the family meetings in a couple of days, I said, you know what, I'm going to take the opportunity to go for it. Which is what, by the way, and I'll, I'll tell you this one. You remember Andre Waters, who played Absolutely. for the Eagles? Yeah, great Andre Waters. Well, Andre was Another a Cheney guy. Andre was a senior at Cheney when I was there that one semester. 
So right. when, I, when I when I returned to Cheney after spending the weekend at Villanova, he was the first person I told what I did for the weekend, and I told him I fell in love with it. I told him what the athletic director said, and I asked uh, I, I asked Andre, what should I do? And he said, go for it. He goes, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go for it. And the reason why that's important is because he did the same thing. You know, Andre wasn't drafted by the Eagles. He was a walk-on, right? He walked yeah, out there right. and tried out for the team, made special teams, and became the, the strong safety that he, he, he was. So he, right. he gave me good advice because he also followed his own good advice. So that that's an integral part of, of the story that, that I write in my book. But mm-hmm. I get still in the, so I get on my birthday, July 17th, I get a letter in the mail saying that I was accepted because I went through the proper paperwork and did all that stuff and mailed it back. I got accepted, and next thing I know, I'm on my way to Villanova. And now, what- bro, now let's get to the next step because now your book is what it's all about, race against race, because you get to Villanova. And what did you have, five black players when you were there first year? I was one of five. That's what I thought I remember from the book. Yep, one of five, and and I went from having all black coaches, right, Don Gaffney, (laughs) his brothers in high school, to whoever the coaches were, because Billy Joe had left Cheney, right, to go coach either FAMU or somewhere else, so he was gone. Coach Cheney had left, right, for basketball to go coach Coach Temple. So I went from being around powerful, incredible – Vivian, don't forget Vivian Stringer, too. She was uh, John's best friend and coached with John at Cheney, and then she's now at Rutgers as one of the leading women's coaches in college basketball. She left right. one year after John left. That is correct. So what happened was I get to Villanova, and there's only one black coach and the rest white coaches. Now, most people listening to and- your program are going to say, well, that's that's that shouldn't be a problem, right? It's 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 all that's what sports is all about. Everybody, you know, getting along, having a common interest and so forth. And they would be correct in thinking that. But the issue was for me back in nineteen eighty four is that I never had diversity in my background. Right? I did I never had a white teammate. I never had a white coach. Right, we always competed against diverse teams or all white teams, so it was new to me. So I had to make the adjustment, and luckily, I had teammates who had diversity in their background regarding sports and probably in their personal life, and they were able to help me understand what I needed to understand, which was we're all here for a reason. We want to make the team. We want to play, we want to win, and we want to graduate. And so, oh, and let me just say one thing, okay? You were went there under a great coach and man, Andy Talley. He he was a longtime coach, a great coach. Well, I grad. He and I are classmates, class of '61 at Averford High School. So uh, Andy is a tremendous individual. I've interviewed him many times, and uh, Mm -hmm. you were blessed 
to have Andy Talley uh, as your coach in that situation? Well, it's funny you mention that because we just had homecoming this uh, past Saturday, and Coach Talley was there amongst a whole bunch of legends and old-timers and current players and so forth. So it was a great weekend, absolutely. And Coach Talley has a great record because he did a great job. Um, he was there a long time. He had a, a, an effect on a lot of players. So, uh, And he just, you know, obviously got elected into the Hall of Fame. So that means something, right? That, that's right. the goal right. is to get in, into the Hall of Fame. So, But my special relationship with one of the coaches was my position coach, because you guys all know the head coach manages the team, and then it's up to the position coaches to implement the plan. So my defensive back coach, Paul Ferraro, was a yeller and a screamer. And and this is a, an ex, one example of how I had to get used to and adjust. So my teammates was like, Bo, what's wrong? I was like, listen, this guy's in my face. He's yelling. He's spitting in my face because he's yelling so much. It's all in his mustache. I'm like, I don't know if I can deal with this guy. <laughs> and my teammates, my black and white teammates who had diversity in their background, pulled me aside. We were in the dorm. We were probably walking. I mean, this is an ongoing conversation, right? And they said, listen, he's a player's coach. He wants the best for us, right? And, and, and what I told him was, listen, I never had a white man yelling in my face. That's why it's new to me, right? I'm from Florida, right? If a white man's yelling in your face, back in that time period, it was go time, right? So they calmed me yep. down, said he's a player's coach, and here's what I came up with, guys. I had to give Coach Ferraro the same level of respect that I gave my black coaches. Because, you know, the black coaches yell too, right? <laughs> they yell yeah. too, right? John so Chaney. <laughs> right, right. So once I was able to get in my mind – and give Coach Ferraro the same level of respect that I gave the Gaffney brothers, for example, it was great. He made me a better player. I would listen to him. Uh, I, he said, Bo, you can't play the free safety position um, based on your athletic ability. You've got to get your head in the playbook. You've got to study the playbook. It, it, it can't just be about your athletics. It's got to be about what's in your head, too. So he coached me up and made me a better player. And in order to do that, I had to let go of what I grew up with in the South and allow him the respect that I gave, again, black coaches. And once I did that, he made me a better player. And I'll never forget him, and that's why I wrote about him in the book, because it, it made me a better player. And that's what and sports it, is all about. And unfortunately, Bo, uh, he, he left Philadelphia at the wrong time for you. I mean, that was a, a little bit he – had, he had moved you along and really made you and called you in uh, to be a leader among people uh, because he saw what you could do not only on the field but what you could do at a personality standpoint with the flows on the team and bring everybody together. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. he decided to leave Villanova and go elsewhere to coach, and that hurt you a little bit. 
Yeah, well, yeah, it hurt me a lot. Um, the next coach came in. He and I did not have that good chemistry. We tried to develop it. It didn't happen. And then by the time I turned a senior, I I, I, I was over to wide receiver. What's that? Yeah, I was switched over to wide receiver my senior year. But by then, by that time, uh, a guy you guys know by the name of Julius Irving, um, mm-hmm. I was good friends with the personal assistant because she, the personal assistant for the Irving family, was a classmate of mine. Well, you so babysat I, for their kids. I babysat for the Irving family. That is correct. Yeah. And he and he would pull me aside, invite me to the house, and have great conversations with me. And he was he was very instrumental in getting my head to where it needed to be by my, by by the time I became a senior, where he 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 he. He allowed me through conversations to focus on my career after I graduate. And so because of those great people like Julius Irving. Don't like forget Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley, Don DiCarlo, Bobby Lambert, Gene Fazio, uh, uh, Bill McDonough, all these great people who helped me, coached me, and mentored me along the way. I was able to graduate Villanova with a positive outcome, get a job with one of the top companies in the world, Gallo Winery, and so I was working in New York after I graduated. So my book is a positive story. I mean, sure, it has hardships. It has uh, uh, excitement. Um, It's educational. It's inspirational. uh, It encourages people to learn how to have great conversations with people across socioeconomic backgrounds and religions and so forth. Um, but right, because you were going from Baptist to Catholic without even knowing what Catholic was. That is correct. <laughs> you know that what, Don and Bo, we're going to have to uh, t- uh, cut it off here because, uh, as we said, uh, the Florida-Georgia games coming up on Saturday. And, Bo, we really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again. There's so much more. <laughs> Uh, to learn, uh, you know, after college. It's a yeah. whole nother couple of chapters, and yeah. uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. But we're going to bring in uh, Vance Levy, who is the owner, publisher, uh, editor of a great publication, Bulldog Illustrated. And oh, Vance, Roger, before we, be, just tonight. let me say before we get to I want to thank, uh, uh, you know, uh, we had a chance Bo. because we got Bo on here. And uh, uh, we, he, his publicist sent me the book, and he, of course, he was a big part of Villanova, uh, their athletic department as well. So I want to just thank Jimmy for taking the time, to Lorenzo, for taking the time to send everything to me, all the information, and send me the book. Uh, the book's terrific. Okay, let's get to the Bulldogs now. And we'll we go had from... Jimmy on a couple of weeks ago, Don. So, yes, we uh, did. We'll have yes. him on again. But, well, but thanks, Dan, I appreciate it. Well, I'll tell you, Vance, it's a pleasure to have you on. It's exciting this week. Uh, you're down at St. Simon's, uh, down just down up the road, so to speak, from Jacksonville. But uh, congratulations on the success of the publication. It's wonderful. Don has seen the hard copy. Frank, I sent uh, Tommy. Everybody has seen uh, the digital. Uh, first of all, how can people get Bulldog Illustrated? 
<laughs> well, I, first of all, I appreciate y'all having me on, and uh, I do have to correct whomever called it the Florida-Georgia game. Uh, down down <laughs> here, we call it we we, we call it the Georgia-Florida game. So, 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 so <laughs> let, 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 let's start off that. Uh, I'm only kidding, of course, but but I'm really not. You, you know, yes, F does come before G, but. Uh, uh, down here in Georgia, it, it, it's definitely the Georgia-Florida game. Uh, well, I, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, how can people get the electronic edition, uh, and then we're going to talk about the game? Awesome, yeah. If they go to Bulldog Illustrated, that's D-A-W-G, dog, bulldogillustrated.com. Uh, they can sign up for our newsletter, and you know, you'll get a – uh, you know, basically each week you'll get a newsletter to your email telling you about the new issue. I mean, it's pretty crazy. We do one every week during the football season. So even though we've been at the game and done all that on a Saturday, we, we work, you know, most of Sunday. So we hit our printer deadline Sunday night, and it's out in print in about three or four markets in Georgia by Tuesday. So it's kind of crazy uh you know you guys get it doing what you do you know it's a labor of love and when when you love your team much like you guys are all philly fanatics uh that's kind of how we are down here in georgia but i'll tell you as you know vance i'm a dog fan there ain't no doubt about that (laughs) absolutely well, you know, we'll, we'll we'll welcome you people that talk a little bit different to the Bulldog Nation. <laughs> and maybe dress a little differently at brunches on Sunday. Nah, you look great. You look great. <laughs> well, listen. Uh, well, I did a few games down there when I was broadcasting for Temple, so I, I've been in the city, but I've been, I've been to some of the Georgia operation, and I'll tell you, it's a lot of fun on Saturday. If anybody, when you go to the SEC schools, I want to tell you, it's nothing like it. I mean, it's really a, it's it's a celebration in itself. Well, you're oh, so it, right. It that that that's kind of what's cool about our magazine is it's not just sports. We we go out and take fifty to one hundred fan photos every Saturday. Uh, my wife does stuff where we're doing Q and A's with Georgia alumnus, be it female or male. So. You hit the nail on the head as to kind of what we do with our magazine is that we capture the entire experience of what Georgia and SEC football is. Well, you know, Vance, I wanted to tell you this because I just got it today. I sent uh, a, Hall of, a pro football Hall of Famer, Ray Didinger, uh, the electronic copy on Saturday because he and, and Glenn Macnow do a radio show on WIP. And they were both saying in that, Philadelphia, uh, they in Philadelphia, Georgia, Roger, in Philadelphia, but they feel that uh, both of them, that Georgia uh, should be probably the national champion and their defense. It was so funny. Glenn Macnow was saying, I want to stand outside the locker room. And every time a defensive player comes out, I'll take you, I'll take you, you know, because they are just dominant, and uh, but Ray, that's what Ray got back to me, and I know Don and uh, and Frank saw his response that uh, he just he loves that publication. He said that was he really appreciated me sending that to him. 
So we're we're get, getting the message out all over, even up north, well, fans. Well, I I certainly appreciate it. And you know the cool thing about our defense, and I, I just got done with a UGA alumni event here on St. Simon's Island, and I was talking to a fella, and th- there we really are across the board. Our our team element is so special this year. I mean, even though we have Jordan Davis. I mean, we we have four like him, and they're they're so unselfish, which in this day and age is so great to see. And that's why, to this point, nobody can can move the football against us. It's kind of crazy. Well, it is, and and it was great that he came back. And uh, I think you know I was living there when uh, Kirby Smart uh, left Alabama to take over at Georgia. He's a graduate of. Uh, UGA, and he's just done a magnificent job. And, uh, you know, it'll, it, it'll, it may be that Alabama and Georgia do not uh, face uh, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in, in, the, uh, in the SEC championship this year. Yeah, don't you think that that's a possibility? You know, Georgia's, Georgia's still got to win a couple more SEC games before I'm ready to talk about the SEC championship. But, uh, uh, because Florida on Saturday is there's they have nothing to lose. They're averaging 500 yards per game. Dan Mullen, you know he's think what you will about Dan Mullen. He's a he's a quirky kind of guy, but he, he sure is a heck of a offensive coordinator. And I I, I fully expect Florida's going to give us as much as we want, and hopefully the depth like it has done this season will will prevail but you know that the Georgia Florida game is just crazy i mean it's 50-50 on both sides it's a momentum type game uh you know matter of fact when i was let's see 12 years old i went to my first Georgia Florida game florida was number 1 in the country uh tim worley and another running back named keith henderson had runs over 80 yards and the number one Gators never, they never could respond to Georgia shocking them. So it, in this game, uh, crazy things can happen for sure. The world. Vance, let me ask you this. What is the reaction down there? And especially within your magazine as well at, at the new uh, ability to transfer from one school to another. What's the thought in Georgia? You know, thankfully, our coach has been very good at it. Uh, I mean, you know, you basically have to you, – you've these, high, these head coaches have become GMs, like in the NFL. And, you know, we had seven uh, – we had three or four DBs lead as juniors last year and then lost another three or four uh, seniors. So what does Kirby Smart do? He goes and plucks one of Clemson's defensive backs, and, uh, and then we got another one from West Virginia who unfortunately is now out and been, has been hurt the whole season and had a season ending. But you, you've got to be able to work the transfer portal, and the cool thing about it is if you're kind of a team trying to get to the next level, I think I heard Rick Newhouse say it the other day, uh, there's never been an easier time to turn around your program in one year, whereas it used to be you had to get a great class and let them mature. Right. Now, if you're, 
if you're really good at it, you can you can make some noise quick in the in the in the portal. So, you know, it, it's here to stay. So, and then we've got a guy that's working it brilliantly. So, you know, it hadn't been that bad for Georgia. Well, you know, this week's edition, yeah, this week's edition, Vance, uh, you have an opening statement which I found very interesting, and I guess there's a uh, a lot of speculation about uh, having the Georgia Florida game uh, annually home and home, uh, you know, so that it wouldn't be mm-hmm. at uh, Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you do? You think that that will uh, come to fruition, or you think it'll just remain like it is? Well, just uh, yesterday and today, they they, they had a it, it was set to run out after next year, but they had a two year option to renew it. That that happened just today. So the oh, okay. game is in Jacksonville till 2025. But hey, hold on, you guys. know, hold on, whoa, whoa, hold, hold on about that. Thank you for your time and and good dogs and beat the Gators and you know. But uh, but I'll end, I'll end my my one comment. Georgia and Florida is a great rivalry, but Ohio you can't beat Ohio State and Michigan for all those years of home football and Ann Arbor and in Columbus. So thanks, Tommy. For your time. That's your opinion. Living it out in uh, Cleveland, Vance. Listen, we appreciate it, uh, your time and uh, you know and uh, all everything you do. You, you and Cherry do with uh, Bulldog Illustrated. Thank you. Vince, thank Tom. you very much for joining us. A great segment of the show tonight. Thank you. Y'all have a good one. Thanks so much. Go dogs. You too. Go ahead, Tommy. Go Buckeyes. Mikey, Mikey coming on. Mike, Mike, welcome to the next part of the show. Don and Roger and Frank. Mike Sinzak. Mike, how are you doing tonight? I am doing uh, I'm doing great. Um, I'm watching the uh, Philadelphia Union and – Toronto Philly scored 39 seconds into the game. The only thing that happened quicker this weekend was uh, uh, New Zealand scoring against USA Rugby. That only took 32 seconds. Wow. Hey, Mike, I got a hockey question to lead off this segment here. I watched uh, when the Lightning was playing in Washington and you know, Lightning being in overtime. You know, uh, you know, so much pressure on Alice Ovechkin. I mean, sure he's a great power play guy, and he's like this, but but you get him on a two-on-one. You know he plays no defense down there. Sam Cole had even chance to score a winning goal. It's just pressure in Washington for not playing two-way hockey. Uh, no, and he's never going to really. Okay. Um, Washington has just been. Uh, uh, happy with the contributions. They got him as a scorer. He was never really known as okay. a guy who was going to play uh, a lot of two-way hockey. He's never really been looked at as a defensive winger or anything like that. So any contribution they get from him from in the defensive aspect, and he will turn it up when, uh, when he needs to. But he's out there to score goals, and he does mm-hmm. that as well as anybody in the NFL most of the time. So that's what they want from him. That's what they expect from him. That's what they signed him to do. Uh, so, the, And considering how great he has been right. for the franchise for as many years as he has been here um, and keying that run to the Stanley Cup uh, 
what four years ago now. Right. Uh, it you know he's not going to get criticism in Washington for much of anything. You know I I, I don't know uh, what he would have. He'd really have to work to uh, get criticism to get heat of any sort. Mike, how about the uh, Washington Football Club? Let's chat a little bit about that. What is the atmosphere now for Mr. Snyder and company? Uh, and what, because they are really, really having a tough time. It, it just seems like another day, another uh, controversy, right? Um, the, the conversation around here revolves around uh, things off the field to the point where for the last two days, the conversation on talk radio and amongst a lot of Redskins fans is, should they just go ahead and trade for Deshaun Watson? Because, you know, at this point, no matter what happens, the franchise can't look any worse. So they might as well look bad and get a decent quarterback out of it because they can stand the PR hit because their reputation is already won. Um, so, the latest one is that a group of about 40 of the former employees who were involved in mm-hmm. the investigation into the workplace culture <laughs> delivered a letter to the uh, NFL meetings saying that they want the findings released because there was really nothing more than a statement about the fact that Washington had a bad workplace culture. Here were the steps that they needed to take and that they were going to be fined. Uh, I think it was $10 million, which is about 0.3% of their yearly revenue in 2020. So Roger Goodell can make it look like this was a monumental Something against the Redskins, but it really wasn't much of anything. And some of the things that have come out about how the women were treated when they were at Ashburn, uh, they were told that they weren't allowed to wear flats, they were only allowed to wear high heels, that when they encountered um, Mr. Schneider, they couldn't look him in the eye. And if he was in the building, they were only allowed, women were only allowed to use certain doors to move through the building. I mean, things like that. So you can get the feeling hmm. of what they were dealing with, and they want it to be made public. And we heard from Roger Goodell yesterday, despite the pressure, that he's very reluctant to do so. Uh, and one of the reasons he mentioned was because he wanted to protect the witnesses who are the ones who are saying, yeah, we want this made public. <laughs> Roger? Hmm. Well, you know, stuff like that, Mike, uh, 20, 25 years ago was not just at the the Washington Redskins then. It was all over, okay? It was an industry, okay? So if you're going to take the uh, Washington team down, you're going to take the entire National Football League down. And anybody that doesn't think that is crazy. Because we've all been around long enough that Don and I have been in enough uh, professional teams' offices over the years that that's the way they were all dressed. That's the way they were dressed at television stations, television networks. So it was a a different era, and uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But the other thing is about the Deshaun Watson deal 
don't count your uh, eggs before the uh, chickens before they hatch, Mike. Let me tell you, because he doesn't have to go to the Washington football team, and and there's a lot of talk he's going to go to Miami if he goes any place. Well, I'm not saying that whether I believe that he's coming here or not. I think that if you know Washington has been rumored to be interested in getting him, um, they pursued. Uh, Matthew Stafford aggressively before and tried to get a trade for Deshaun Watson before all of this news broke. That didn't work. We know that Deshaun Watson's preference is to go to Miami, but Miami wants all the court cases settled before they make the trade, and he's not willing to do that. I think a lot of supposition is going on around uh, Washington as to just should the Washington Redskins trade for him despite all the off-field allegations. But there's really been no uh, indication that they have the ability, that they have players, that they have what the Texans would want for him to be able to put together a package. The assets to get him, number one. The the Eagles have the assets, Mike. The Eagles have the assets. Because they're probably now, with the way Wentz is playing, they're going to have three first-round picks. They have the assets. They have three high first-round picks. And it will be interesting to see if the Eagles – again, you're taking a huge gamble if you put together a package for Deshaun Watson. Oh, you're right. We know he's a supremely talented quarterback. But with this stuff all off the field still pending, you know, I know that – Goodell said yesterday that there's, they're not looking at suspending him right now. They don't. Their their investigation at this moment has not turned up anything so that you could play him. But there's still the very distinct possibility that he could end up on the commissioner's exempt list. That you know, there's criminal charges pending. He could end up in jail. So if you're putting together a haul for him. Um, I don't know how much you want to mortgage on a player who you may have for, you know, five years, five games, or you may only have him available for five hours. Very true. I, I agree. I, I think that's very, very suspect. I also agree with you, Roger. When you, you know, uh, with the way things are going right now, the Eagles are going to be in great shape as far as draft position is concerned. The problem is. Who's going to make the draft selections? Because they've been in a good position draft-wise for the last three or four years, and they haven't come up with much. Awful, just like the Phillies. Look at the uh, look at the the, look at the Braves players that came up during uh, Clintax's time with the Eagles and Andy McPhail that are on the field for the the, uh, Braves. The Phillies don't have one player. That, that, from that period of time. Not only look at the most the valuable player in the, in the playoff uh, getting to the World Series was the player that the Braves picked up in the middle of the season. The Phillies exactly. didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, they talked about starving for outfielders. The Braves get two, not one. Right. They get two <laughs> outfielders that step right in and play and become most valuable players in the playoffs, mm. and the Phillies are still sitting there with nothing. Exactly. And that's what that's the way they're going to be until they get it uh, the house straightened out. But uh, no, Mike, I, I j- just 
wanted just to em- emphasize that I, I personally, like you, do not feel that the Washington football team has the assets to make that deal. The only way that they would have they would have the assets was to trade um, some players, but when you and particularly some defensive players, you might still. Terry McLaurin has a lot of value. A lot of players like um, a lot of teams like him, but when you look at how poorly the Washington football team defense, which was thought to be the um, the best unit on the team, how poorly they have played. And how poorly those individuals in the front seven as a unit have played, you know, they're, the value that you, you would look to somebody like a Montez Sweat or a, a Jason Allen or K, even Chase Young right now, I think their values have declined. Um, they, that was what was going to be in the package for Watson. Uh, I don't think that they can get anything close to what Houston would like or they can be competitive with a team like the Eagles that has the three first-round picks or Miami mm-hmm. and what they would be willing to offer. And, you know, does, would you – if you were a player, would you want to come here right now when, you know, the team itself is two and five and not looking like they're going to put it together? And the organization just continually seems to figure out ways to trip over itself. World Series just tied up at uh, 1-1, Travis. Yeah, you know, just hit a home run to tie it up at 1-0. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and you, know what, you know what Travis Darnay's uh, history is, Don? The centerpiece uh, of the Roy Holiday deal with the Toronto Blue Jays. Phillies gave up Travis Darnay. Not only that, do you realize how many, and they really emphasize and reemphasize, how many runs he has saved behind the plate. His catching yeah. technique has been outstanding. I mean, he has made plays right. that you can't believe. He must have saved at least in that Dodger series four or five runs, without question, with great, great well, plays and, behind the plate. Oh, absolutely, and he's really developed that because, remember, Chris Wheeler said that the uh, his uh, defense was suspect when they gave uh, him up in that deal. Yeah, well, you know, he's it's not suspect now. No, not only that, he's he's doing a little bit better hitting than they anticipated too. I mean, he's had a he's had a pretty good playoff series. Yeah, and of course he was out mm-hmm. uh, injured for a couple of months uh, earlier in the season. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, no, Mike. Well, you know, what do you think uh, uh, happens, uh, or maybe any any word on uh, when they're going to announce the name, or maybe they're. They're not going to announce the name of the uh, team for next year. Uh, that's, don't expect to hear anything about that until the after the Super Bowl. So that's going to be something yeah. that's going to coincide with uh, the end of the league year. And I, so I wouldn't look for anything like that until late February, early March. Mike, and I was one of the I ones that jumped on the bandwagon that made the decision to bring in the new coach. I, I think he's an outstanding coach. It, unfortunately, he just doesn't have the talent to work with. Has there been any pressure? What does the what does the media in, in the Washington Baltimore area say about not only the whether they're winning or losing, but how they're being coached? I think that Ron still has a pretty good reputation, especially amongst the media. Uh, most of the 
media personalities around here will stick up for Ron. Uh, Jack Del Rio is really taking a lot of heat for the way the defense is playing. Well, his last three coaching jobs, the defense all took heat. He was not very good. Well, and he's supposed to be a defensive guy. Last year they played great. We thought the defense was going to be a strength. You had Montez Sweat and Chase Allen coming into the season talking about setting the uh, sacks record between them, most sacks for two defensive ends, and they've just been utterly gassed. Um, Their big free agent signing from two years ago was Landon Collins. Um, He's become pretty much a situational player. It just seems like whatever steps forward they made as a defensive unit last year, they've given all of that back, and people are struggling to understand why and where are the adjustments. A lot of heat on Jack Del Rio. I would be surprised if this trend continues if you don't see him relieved of his duties um, either at the end of the season or before it. Don has uh, pretty much weathered the storm. A lot of people look and say, you know, what can Rom do? Um, he's not getting a lot of blame for the defense. They're looking at him as an offense and the offense and saying, you know, we don't have a great quarterback. Players are getting injured. What do you want from him? I think he's doing the best that he can with the pieces that he has to work with. The one thing that has become clear is that Most people look now at Taylor Heineke and say, you know, he might be a good backup, but we don't think that he's the long-term answer as a starter in this league. Hmm. Tommy? That's interesting because you figure, you know, Washington had a couple good starts, a couple good games, and then once again, they hit the Philadelphia Eagles. There's tackles, penalties, cost of mistakes. And I watch an Eagles game because – Las Vegas, and that was terrible football. But like, is, I think with the head coach, is, is there pressure on the head coach of letting him go and fire him right now? Because uh, there was so high expectations for the Washington Redskins this year. No, I don't think. Again, like I just said, I don't think that you're going to get any pressure on Ron this season. He's been probably the the, the football, the playing aspect of the organization has been just about as stable and as consistent on the, in terms of how they've conducted themselves um, as they have been in Dan Snyder's tenure. It's all the stuff going on around them in the front office that's a problem. But when it comes to the actual team, they kind of just go out there and they go out and do their business. I think people are very disappointed by how poorly the defense is played. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, this was a 7-9 team last year that snuck into the playoffs. They're coming up again right. the first-place schedule this year. They've had some really tough quarterbacks that they've had to play. And you saw it last week against Aaron Rodgers. You know, for the first time, they looked like they were getting <laughs> pressure on the quarterback, and he just – Aaron Rodgers escapes, makes a big play, and there goes the ball game for him. That's right. Mike, thank you very much again for a terrific segment. Uh, look forward to next week. Mike Schulte standing by to chat a little bit. We've been talking a lot of college football tonight between Georgia, Florida, and what's going on around the country. Mike, of course, with the Outback Bowl for so, so many years. Mike, nice to have you back with us again this week. And, uh, thank you, Mike. You, you keep talking about the upsets, the upsets, the upsets, and uh, Penn State took the dive this week. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, every – 
Every week, uh, one of our sayings is every weekend something's going to happen you don't expect, and that that definitely um, is the tale of this season. Um, And yeah, you're right. Penn State was a twenty point favorite. Well, yeah, it was. uh, Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, um, Illinois. You know, first of all, Brett Bielema is the coach at Illinois now. He had a great, a lot of success at Wisconsin. Went uh, left the Big Ten, went down to Arkansas, uh, had some pretty good success there. But of course, you know, playing in the West uh, Division of the uh, of the SEC is a is a really tough tough place to be. Um, he had he put together some really good teams, uh, uh, you know, made some good strides there, and now he's at Illinois, and he is a good coach. I will tell you, um, and you know, he's making some things happen there. Uh, they had a really nice game to start the season against Nebraska, and then they've been a, they've been a little bit up and down since then, but they certainly put it all together uh, last week at Penn State. So, um, you know, th- those things are going to happen, and, and and you know we're in we're getting into November. Uh, you know, ben, you know, I mean, this Saturday is October 30th, of course, but we're essentially getting into into that November time period where. You know, a lot of these teams are playing each other, of course, in conference. A lot of big games. You know, this weekend you got Michigan, Michigan State. You got Ohio State, Penn State. You got Florida, Georgia. You you know, there's a lot of big games out there, and things are really going to start to shake loose here on uh, on who the contenders are and who the pretenders are. So we're we're right in that mode of the season where uh, things you you really start to learn a lot about uh, you know who you know, each of the teams and how good they really are. Roger. Mike, you know, uh, go ahead, Tommy. Well, that's most important. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Uh, you know, you know, for the college football fan living in the Tampa Bay area, how could they purchase tickets or those special plans to go to all the team events and yet uh, that's for sale also? How can the fans, you know, buy the tickets and get those special packages that you guys do such a great job hosting? Yeah, thanks, Tommy. Great to great to hear you. Um, yeah, we we uh, we have our tickets on sale at Ticketmaster for the Outback Bowl. We're selling them now. Uh, a lot of tickets have already been sold, uh, but we got plenty of good ones left. And um, uh, we do have uh, a premium uh, ticket packages that mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether you're a company or an individual, you can get our membership packages or our, our club membership um, uh, packages where. Uh, includes tickets to the game and parking and invitations mm-hmm. to some VIP events uh, leading up to the game. So those are all being sold directly through the Outback Bowl office. And then you can also um, get information on those on our website at outbackbowl.com. But, um, you know, if you just want some, some, to buy some tickets, you can also buy through Ticketmaster. So appreciate that, uh, Tommy. And, and obviously we, we are planning on having our, our full uh, schedule of events and Good. activities during bowl Good. week, uh, leading up to the game, and uh, all the fun fun things for the teams and the and the fans to participate in. Roger, to that, Mike. Uh, Mike, uh, we were just talking to uh, Vance Levy of uh, as Bulldog Illustrated earlier, <laughs> and of course the big games in Jacksonville uh, Saturday, uh, and uh, it's Georgia uh, with uh, Florida. A lot of speculation about that, that they were going to go back to a home and home. However, uh, Vance told us that they just uh, signed an agreement today for two more years in addition to next year 
uh, in Jacksonville. And, and I was thinking if they didn't have that game in Jacksonville, they wouldn't need such a large stadium like they built because it wasn't built for the uh, Jaguars. It was built for that game, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it pretty much was. I mean, it, it's a heck of a big stadium, and it, it's really a great environment. In fact, I'm going to be up there this weekend um, at the game. Uh, it, it's really neat the way they do it. Uh, they, they literally split the stadium in half. Uh, and it's all red on one side and pretty much all blue and orange on the other side. Uh, and I mean, from the, from, you know, halfway through end zone to halfway through end zone, I mean, it's, it's split right down the middle and, uh, it, 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 it makes it a lot of fun from the standpoint that you truly have, I, I'm not sure what their capacity is, but say it's 80,000 fans or whatever, you know, you literally will have 40,000 Gator fans and 40,000, uh, Georgia fans. So it's, it's almost like a home game for both teams in as much as the number of fans, you know, that are there, you know, pulling for each side. And it's a, uh, it's a really neat atmosphere. So um, it's, it, I'm expecting it to be a lot of fun. And, and the other thing too, about games like this, as you know, you know, you know, you almost throw out the records, uh, you know, when these, when teams, you know, rivals like this meet in these games, because there's so much emotion uh, packed into it. Uh, that uh, you just never know what's going to happen, and they tend to usually be um, really, really special games. So uh, throw out the rankings, throw out the records right now. Uh, these guys are going to go at it uh, all the way, and uh, and I'm expecting it to be a great show. Mike, yeah, I've been there that. once. We saw it this weekend for the first, or not for the first time, but we saw it this weekend for one of the primary times, and that's the overtime rule now be used in college uh, football and uh, the Ohio State game, uh, or not the, I mean, the uh, Penn State game. Penn State. And the Illinois yeah. game. I mean, what an overtime situation that was. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. I, I didn't get to actually see it uh, live. I was I was at my daughter's uh, game up in the, at FSU. They had their homecoming, and I went up and visited her. Uh-huh. But, uh, but then that was fun. But, um but yeah, so I missed I missed actually seeing it all. I saw some highlights. Um, but yeah, incredible. That's sort of incredible. interesting in it. Uh, it. Well, what's ironic to me is that they they um, you know they they implemented that new rule uh, primarily after the LSU Texas A and M game a few years ago when they went seven overtimes, and um, and you know there was a concern about how. Yeah, by the end, I mean the, you know, the players were pretty much scoring at will because they were the defenses were so just so tired and everything. And and here they here, here now they got this new rule and they go nine overtimes, which obviously they didn't <laughs> run as, quite as many plays probably because you you know you, you're just trying to do the two point conversions you know, but it, it still was just sort of ironic that uh, you know they didn't really cut down on it quite as much probably as they they thought that uh, this new rule would 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 work, but uh, uh, it certainly made for an exciting finish. Sure did. Astros just put a couple of more runs on the board and are still threatening. Uh, Tommy, you're up. Well, yes, it's, it's interesting. Mike, it's going to be – I can't believe how lot of time is passing right now for, you know, the Florida-Georgia game, the Michigan, Michigan State game, Penn State, Ohio State. But I think the number one game – you know, you know, the number one probably game like, I always look forward to every year. You do too, Mike B from the state of Ohio. It's Ohio State and that team up north. 
I'm not going to say the word. <laughs> That's the thing I'm looking forward to. That game, I'm not saying that word at all. <laughs> you already said it earlier, Tommy. You did. You already yeah, said you know, it. Well, it, it, Mike, it Roger, not on Mike's segment, I said. <laughs> yeah, well, you, that, that's definitely shaping up to be a heck of a game, uh, you know, at this point. And, and, uh, and, and you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of a lot of lot writing on both that game for both teams. There always is, of course, but, um, you know, even if, if Michigan state were to win this weekend, let's just say, and let's just say Michigan gets through the rest of their games, they could both be in there with one loss sort of vying for a chance to, to get in the the playoff uh, on top of just the natural rivalry that those teams have. So that's what Mm -hmm. makes, uh, makes so many of these games and these rivalries so much fun. Um, you, you just, you know, you never know what's going to happen, but also the fact that it's, you know, there's so much writing on it and there's so much emotion. I mean, you, you know, guys, we've been seeing it all, all year and I, and I like the NFL of course, but my gosh, college football is just, just so unique. Uh, the traditions around it, the, the pageantry of course, but also just the, the, the loyalty of the fans and the emotions that write in on it. And, you know, you know, they get these upsets and teams rushing the field you know, which of course they'd never do in the NFL. Um, and, you know, it's just, it, it just makes for such an exciting environment that I just don't think, you know, the NFL will, will really ever be able to fully duplicate. No. They've got outstanding players in the NFL. Don't, don't uh, you know, get me wrong, but uh, the, just the entire overall experience uh, of these college football games, especially the big rivalry games, uh, is just something that's really special, and, that, and it's just great to follow each week. Roger? Well, you know, you know Mike, uh, I go back many years, and uh, when I was in high school, I used to go to see a lot of uh, Penn games. And, of course, the Ivy League was different then than it is today. But uh, I right. can remember uh, when they had a big win, they, uh, the wooden goalposts would come down. And I had a yeah. couple of chunks of a wooden goalpost. Uh, you know, that uh, I had up in my uh, my bedroom. But you're exactly right. But I also say this, that I think that when now that I'm back in Georgia and, and get an awareness and being close to Georgia and getting to know people uh, over there, I'll tell you what, uh, the, the, there's nothing like the Southeast for football. I mean, uh, it's a different atmosphere. I know Tommy's talking about the Michigan or Ohio State Penn State, right. Michigan, or Ohio State. There, they, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I saw uh, Saturday. I watched that game with the nine overtimes, and you, uh, you got what 102, 105,000 at Nittany Alliance Stadium, and uh, but there's just something about uh, what goes on, and uh, you know, at, at Athens uh, they did uh, college game day two out of three weeks there, so I think that tells you something. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, part of that, too, um, I, it just my, my thought is uh, you have a lot of states in the um, – and, and this, you know, there are some certainly in the north and the Midwest. There's a, lot of, a number of states in the southeast, uh, southeastern conference footprint at least, um, you know, that they don't have professional sports, um, right. you know, teams. I mean, Arkansas, uh, Mississippi, um, you know, Alabama. Alabama. You know, I mean, it's it, you're Auburn, Auburn or Bama. I mean, that, that's you know, if you're if you live in Alabama, right? I mean, there's no 
NFL teams. They're not, you know, there's no major league baseball teams. There's no NBA teams, hockey team. I mean, you know, and you know, you get, you know, South Carolina is another one. Um, uh, you know, so, and, you know, until fairly recently, I mean, North Carolina didn't have any. Um, so you, you just, I, I think that has sort of added to it over the decades um, that, you know, they, that the, you know, generation after generation has grown up with their college teams, uh, not necessarily with their professional teams. Um, and so I think that maybe is added to it. I, I've heard the saying that, you know, you know, like in the Midwest, the big 10, you, you know, uh, people live for the football uh, teams, uh, but in you know for college. But in the south, in the south, they live, breathe, and die with their college teams. <laughs> well, I think the big thing is too that, uh, as Roger said at the outset of his comment a minute ago, you know, when we were youngsters. Uh, the Ivy League was a was a major conference. I mean, uh, you you know that like Penn would play Penn State and. Princeton and Penn was always a gigantic game. Yale had great team, you know, but when they yeah. changed the rules and were not allowed to, you know, go to any bowl games or play extra games or have spring practice, you know, they completely took football away. And when they did that, the National Football League capitalized because now anything in the Northeast, I don't care where you go, whether it's the Giants, the Jets, even though they're terrible, the Eagles up in Boston with the Patriots, I mean, that's what it's all about because they've almost, other than Boston College, they've almost washed out college football. You there, Mike? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Did we lose? Oh, go ahead. I don't know if you heard what Don was saying about uh, the no, Northeast. Yeah, yeah, about the Northeast, yes. Yeah, well, the, yeah, you're right. I mean, the Northeast, uh, you're exactly that way, and, and – uh, and you know too. I mean, you know, um, you know, you know. Obviously, the Midwest is a little bit different, and and still has a lot. But but even in you know, the NFL is just so um, so embedded throughout the the Midwest now too. You know, with multiple teams in Ohio and 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 Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and with uh, the Illinois and Wisconsin area. You know, with the Green Bay's and Chicago's and 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 um, and so forth. So you know. They, they, you know, Minnesota even now. So, you, you know, they're all spreads right through there. And again, you have the college programs, and you have some great, good college programs there, and so forth in history. But, um, you know, the, the, all the all those states uh, uh, had uh, NFL teams that that rose to prominence uh, back in at, at a time when college football um, was was big there, of course, but but also. Um, you know, you, you sort of had a, a dual relationship between the NFL and college right. football as far as the fans. And right. in the Southeast, you know, NFL came slower to the Southeast part of the country. And by the time they got here, um, even in Florida, you know, uh, you know, the, the colleges, you know, uh, owned the state uh, back then. And, you know, eventually we got three teams and three NFL teams in Florida. But relatively speaking, uh, it, it hasn't been. Uh, you know, uh, all that long is uh, in comparison to the team, the NFL teams um, throughout the, the Midwest and Northeast. Well, it's been so sporadic with them being uh, really uh, identified as winning teams, too. You have to also factor that in. If you're uh, following a pro team, they have to win. If they don't win, uh, look what we had in Tampa. You know, now the Buccaneers, yeah. you look at the stands, that are, but they went through a 10-year period where you couldn't give tickets away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
There's been some dry spells. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the Falcons. Uh, it's a beautiful new stadium, and uh, they do not uh, draw what they were do- drawing at the uh, at the Georgia Dome. And uh, their winning record, uh, uh, or their record period, uh, of wins at home has deteriorated immensely since they went into that new stadium. But just to follow up with your point, Mike, about the different states, it's just amazing when you go North Carolina, you got two big uh, football and basketball too, but uh, North Carolina, North Carolina State, South Carolina, Clemson, Georgia, Georgia Tech, and and I think in the future, Kennesaw State, because they're going to be the biggest uh, populated or highest, highest, highest populated uh, university in Georgia when they're all finished. And then you've got Alabama, uh, uh, Auburn, you know, just like you were saying. I mean, you get these rivalries just within a state. Yeah, and then, of course, you have the border wars, right, uh, the rivalries and, and all that. I mean, so – um, yeah, I mean, so it, you're right. I mean, it's it's uh, like I said, it's just sort of it, it just sort of is in, ingrained in in some of the parts of the country even more so than others. And and part of that, like I said, is just the fact that many of the states still don't have professional sports teams, and certainly don't have NFL teams. And and then plus you know, the fact that uh, the, even the ones that do have NFL teams, uh, they they came sort of late late to the party in comparison you know, historically to uh, where the NFL teams, you know, embedded themselves early on. I mean, even the Carolina Panthers, uh, you know, were not there. I don't know. I don't know how long they've been there, but they haven't been there as long as Tampa has had a team, for instance. And so, you know, there's, uh, uh, yeah, so there's, uh, like I said, it's just, you know, college, uh, the college game sort of owned the South South Mm -hmm. for, and had it to themselves for a very, very, very long time and some places still does. So, uh, I, I think that com- combined with the success that so many of these programs have had over the years uh, has just built up such a, uh, a great following and, and great tradition um, that uh, it would be hard for any, anybody to break it. Mike, once hey, Mike. again, thank you very much for this segment. Always great to talk college football with you and continue success selling those tickets for the Outback Bowl. We're all looking forward to New Year's Day and getting up there to Raymond James is seeing a good college football game. So thank you very much for joining us always. We'll check in with you next week. Have a safe Always a pleasure, guys. Uh, have a great week Thanks, and, and enjoy the games. Good. Thanks, you too. Okay. Doug Hamilton is online right now, our resident pro and PGA professional down in Baltimore, Maryland. He joins us each week, and uh, we haven't had much chance to talk golf because that much has been going on on the golf front of late. But uh, I know for you, uh, Dougaroo, it's got to be a little bit of a sad week after that performance by the Ravens. You know, that's 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 kind of that's kind of a pointed uh, type of a remark or question. Uh, when <laughs> when when the Ravens win, you know, it's ho hum for you. But now they 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 play, you know, kind of <laughs> bad, and you, you and you rub it in. Um, but you know what? To get to where you want to be, you're going to have to experience some setbacks. And um, you know, uh, unfortunately, they lost this this past weekend. Um, you know, mom and dad uh, came over. We, we were I was super excited to watch uh, a home game against a division rival of of the Bengals. And the Ravens were, you know, five and one coming off of 
uh, looking pretty good. And, and uh, geez, up until, you know, partway through the third quarter, they were down 20-17 to 17 and still in the game. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, they, they, they lost 41-17. It was – the score indicated, you know, uh, a larger margin than probably it should have been. But, you know, they, they took some chances at the end of the game and went for some fourth downs and, and, and didn't convert and, and gave up some points. But um, I don't know. You, you you bundle that one up, you throw throw it in the trash can, and, and you, you have a bye week this week to – uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, get healthy. They have uh, several guys that they need to figure out. Right. You know, uh, Patrick McCarry, Latavius Murray, um, Nick Boyle, um, you know, to name a few. I mean, they have, um, you know, some injuries and some, some wounds to lick here in a bye week that they can hopefully get after, you know, in, in, in two weeks and, and come back to the – I mean, Coach Harbaugh is, is – um, you know, really good after a bye week in preparation, and and so it's unfortunate. I mean, the Bengals uh, look. Joe Joe Burrow, um, you know, is a pretty good quarterback. He has a lot of good wide receivers. Uh, Jamar Chase is is fabulous. Um, Higgins and Boyd are also really good. Their tight end uh, did some damage. The defense is probably better than most people give them credit for. But um, you know, we'll see him again. Um, you know, and uh, you know, next time we see him, probably. Um, maybe there's a little more, a little more on the line, a little more at stake. Um, you know, hopefully we can uh, get some revenge on them. But um, you know, disappointing loss. Um, you know, it was a bad week in the Hamilton household, losing uh, with the Ravens. Uh, the Redskins lost, and also I lost in fantasy football. So I mean, I was I was over this <laughs> week, and uh, that's no good. Roger. Um, hey, listen, the only thing uh, worse could. If you uh, had a third uh, team you were rooting for and you lost there too, well, I think I think Georgia I think Georgia was idle this week, uh, so I think they, they got were. lucky. I think that you know uh, you know I'm 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 a Georgia fan by default, uh, you know here in the household, but uh, you know Georgia plays against Florida this week, and apparently that's that's a hated heated rivalry, um, and so three thirty yeah. on Saturday. Three thirty on Saturday. I no longer exist for about three hours. So <laughs> I'll tell you, Doug. I sent it to everybody else, and I forgot about uh, you having a Georgia fan in the household. Yeah. I will send you. We had the uh, gentleman uh, and his wife. Well, we had uh, Vance Levy on that does uh, weekly a fantastic magazine uh, called mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bulldog Illustrated. And it's only, okay. you can get it uh, digitally, but it's only distributed print-wise in a very small area, Athens, St. Yeah. Simon's Island, Macon. But I will send you the electronic copy no, for this week. That would be, Don yeah, has that would seen, be, I will put it, yeah. I'll just send it to you right away. But Don will I'm attest, because he had, uh, had a, a printed copy. I, was gonna say, I got the hard copy, and then you sent me the electronic copy. Yeah, but you got the printed copy. Is that a piece? Uh, is that a tremendous publication? Unbelievable. Don? Yes, yeah. indeed. I have no question week, about it. Every week. Yeah, that that'll be well received. I tell you, there's there's a lot of red in our household here. Uh, none of it uh, is really mine. Um, we, we, you know, I've uh, uh, I've married into a um, you know uh, national capital Georgia. 
I mean, it's it's there's so much red here. It's it's overwhelming. Um, I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm more orange, purple, and black. Uh, I think than anything, obviously. But um, you know, um, it's it's nonetheless it's fun. I mean, unfortunately, I went to a college. I went to GW, which didn't have a football team. So I really have no. I mean, honestly, I don't I I don't really care that much about college football, um, other than. Uh, appreciating the really good players and and um, you know the the mock drafts and draft status and and those sorts of things to to appreciate that. But I mean, I, I mean, I, I I honestly, if you if you told me to pick a college football team that I root for, I I don't know, I don't even have an answer for you. I really don't. Um, I mean, I guess Maryland because you know I live in the state of Maryland, but but they stink. So um, <laughs> I, I I don't even know what to say. Um, you know, I, I might find a groovy fight song or, or something like that. I don't know, but um, nothing. Well, let's check in with this. We haven't talked golf, as I said, for a long period of time because things are sort of in a hiatus. But uh, yeah. anything you want to touch on the golf front, because as a, just reminding everybody, PGA Pro, uh, you run your own club yeah. down there and, and have uh, in a situation for about the last eight months. And you're coming to mm-hmm. the conclusion of your first year. Uh, yeah. give, give us a, a little thumbnail sketch or anything that, uh, from an equipment standpoint, yeah. a ball standpoint, a mm-hmm. uh, golf standpoint. There's not really any real tournaments going on in the United States and Japan yeah. and places of that nature. But I don't think people follow that that closely. Yeah, there's. Um, gosh, what a what a what a fine year, um, you know, for me. Um, you know, kind of take one to the chin and and uh, and fall down on the mat and. You know, I guess I heard the eight count and got up and and uh, tapped gloves and and you know went to the center of the ring and and thought it was time to fight again. You know, so um, got really lucky. You know, uh, finding another position at uh, at a country club and um, you know just trying to feel my way through the first year to understand uh, what the clientele uh, was like and to own my own golf shop was uh, certainly a challenge with regard to. Um, the late nature of my hire and, and, and being able to um, probably cash in a few chips with uh, sales reps and, and people to, to populate, you know, the golf shop and had a really good first year um, in sales. Um, the number that I got to in sales was um, probably the best year that that shop has had in the last maybe 10 years. Right. Um, so I was very fortunate to, uh, strike gold on some of the choices uh, that I made. Um, you know, certainly looking to to build on that for the future. With um, you know, I'm already you know hard at work uh, meeting with sales reps to order for spring, uh, which would be you know encompass uh, you know uh, for what home would be kind of May through I'd say like maybe mid July, and then after that, um, you know, now you're talking summer fall, so. Um, I mean, the lines I picked, I think were good. Um, I still have to work on the semantics of, of, of sizing, uh, with regard to my membership. Um, the timeliness of deliveries, trunk shows, fitting days, demo days, you know, those sorts of things. Um, I'm super hopeful to, uh, get to the PGA show at the end of January. Um, my understanding is that they're going to have it actually last year was virtual this year, I think will be in person, but, um, some of the main vendors may or may not be there. I don't know, but it's a wonderful opportunity to, um, you know, kind of see some lines that you've never seen or, you know, in some cases it's 
hey, look, I did a lot of business with you. Um, why don't you take me out to dinner and, you know what I mean, we can, uh, you know, eat off your dime or drink off your dime, uh, those sorts of things. Um, you know, with regard to the PGA Tour, I think, uh, Don, where's the event this week? Is it, it – I feel like it's abroad. I feel like it's it's somewhere either Caribbean or Mexico or something like that. Um, but um, I felt like I read uh, something on an email that I got that said uh, there was a special exemption for – I want to think it was like Aruba or Bermuda or somewhere, but there's a special exemption for a club pro um, that's playing in the event – uh, that has stage four cancer. Um, so, you know, that's obviously near and dear to my heart. Um, well, the only you thing know, I can and, say that people are looking forward to, uh, you know, DJ Bow and, and the match. Has, but other than that, uh, yeah. as I said at the top, uh, golf has put on the back shelf because unless you follow it in, in the Far East, uh, especially in Tokyo, yeah. those, they really don't really get underway until you get to Hawaii. But uh, uh, the well, DJ match, I guess, is going to be a lot of fun. You look, we we shift our attention this time of year. Um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're a, a snowbird, you're probably headed south to, you know, continue playing golf. If not, you're, you know, stuck here to, you know, maybe hold on to some, um, you know, some nice days that that might that might happen in October, November, and even December. But. Um, I mean, look, you got the World Series, um, you've got uh, regular season hockey, you've got college football, you've got professional football. Um, you know, me being a big horse racing fan, you've got, uh, you know, uh, all these different stakes races that are that are helpful for the Breeders' Cup. I mean, you've got a lot of different things that are going on right now. Certainly you can find, you know, something. If that all fails, um, you know, uh, a few good men is probably on about three to four times a week. Um, if you don't know all the lines by heart by now, you can probably watch that and and figure those out. Um, you know, so there's a lot of there's lots of good stuff going on. Roger, hey Todd, hey, I'll tell you what I I saw. Uh, I was over at Lake Lanier Island uh, the other day and uh, really I drove around, and they have a huge uh, that continues to develop. Uh, the RV resort and, you know, on the, mm-hmm. on the uh, property. And I saw the golf course was just absolutely saturated with golfers yeah. and the yeah. RV, even though there's no water uh, park open now, they're going to have snow, man-made mm-hmm. snow and there. That starts in a couple of weeks. But uh, I was amazed. I mean, you get all these RV people traveling and I guess maybe they're on their way to yeah. Florida uh, but they're uh, yep. playing golf along the way. Yeah, I mean, most most of our members, um, you know, we lost some uh, right after the the Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you continually lose people uh, moving forward. You've got um, obviously in this Maryland area, you've you've had a weird schedule for the Ravens to open up with Sunday night, Monday night games, and those sorts of things. But uh, you've had a few home games that I know we've lost a lot of members to. Um, we this week we're currently doing airification to greens, so they're going to punch the, you know, five five eighths uh, inch tines and, and pull the cores out and and make sure that we can eradicate any of the thatch and, and those sorts of things to keep our greens healthy. Um, um, the following week, I think we do airification to fairways, so the course itself will be kind of messy and and, and not in good shape. So um, anybody that did stick around is is probably going to find something else to do for 
uh, the foreseeable future. Um, you know, so I'm interested to see statistically what, what some of the numbers were uh, for my first season there with regard to exactly um, how many rounds of golf we did. Um, and then also, you know, selfishly, obviously, and, and legally, I need to figure out uh, from a tax standpoint what, what I did in sales and, and all the obligations that I have, um, you know, to, to pay sales tax on all those sorts of things. But um, really good first year, really excited about um, having an off-season to plan. And, you know, I was talking to uh, my staff today about, you know, coming up with a, a tournament schedule for 2022 and, um, you know, getting that on paper. And we, we made a a pseudo wish list of some things that we want to see in terms of resources that we need or um, changes that we want to see made and and different things. So, um, you know, super excited to go through that, that planning season that I didn't have last year to kind of get ahead of the season coming forward. Tommy. Tommy's gone. Oh, Tommy's left. Okay. Okay. (laughs) We've left left the building too late tonight. (laughs) Past his bedtime, Don. Well, we had a, you know, he's, he's our resident amateur pro. We expect him yeah. to be alive and cooking during the golfing section. Well, you have to tell you have Don. Listen, you have to tell Tommy that next year the uh, USGA is making some changes to the uh, amateur status. Um, if, if for some reason uh, Tommy takes more than uh, I think a thousand dollars in cash from his winnings, then he's no longer an amateur. So you're going to have to break that to him softly. I think oh, Tommy is his golf games and his lunches. <laughs> I, think, I think Tommy's safe. I don't. I don't think he's going to win a thousand this year. No. Okay. Well, I'm just you know keep that in mind. I mean, it, it is a goal. Frank, jump in, Frank. Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's a. Uh, I'm glad to hear that the PGA is coming back to. Uh, it's coming to Orlando again. Is that what you said? Are they coming back to Orlando? Are you asking, Frank? Yeah, yeah. I thought they had a contract. I did end last year. I don't believe it. Doug, I don't think it ended last year, did it? No, I mean, listen, I'm I'm focused on Orlando from the sense of the PGA show. I mean, I know that they host uh, that on an annual basis. Um, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, convention center is ridiculous. I mean, I've I've been there, yeah. gosh, twice, two or three times. Um, and, um, I mean, it's encompassing. I mean, you can, you can mm-hmm. do whatever you want, you know, down there to see, um, you know, all the different product lines with regard to, clubs and apparel and range supplies, golf carts. I mean, you name it. It's food. I mean, it, it's all there. Um, you know, you could you could walk around aimlessly for days, um, you know, and and plug your head into different you know, places. It's well, I know two cool. years ago that um, uh, Orlando got really lucky, if you remember, because uh, uh, they got boosted. Sometimes they have a really a, a slight split on the top players. But two years ago, they had a great run because the top players all played in Orlando. But I didn't say mm-hmm. anything, and uh, to be honest with you, that that, that tournament was not going to be carried on. So I can't. Well, no, I mean right. they they certainly do their West Coast uh, swing with Hawaii and, and all those things, and they'll eventually make their way into Florida. And um, you know, I certainly I don't know what the tournament schedule is next year uh, 
specifically for for targets of you know you know cities and those sorts of things but um you know there there may be i mean there's so many wonderful golf courses across you know this nation that that host different things so i mean orlando could be target i don't know Thanks to everybody that joined us. Uh, Roger, great get. Uh, we talked about the Bulldog edition, and, of course, Bobo, what a great job he did with us. We're going to talk more about that book as we go along. Frank, another great job at the controls. Tommy, whether you, wherever you are, Tommy, sleep in, uh, very carefully. All right, <laughs> <laughs> hey, fellas, we'll talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Take care. Ladies and Thank gentlemen, you, these programs are brought to you. Thank you, sir. Programs are brought to you each and every week, night of the week. Grateful appreciation to men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women police and fire services, and men and women on the first line of COVID at the hospitals. These programs are also dedicated to those who have lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony, Carol Patrolman, Jeffrey Coltap, Trevor Sergeant, um, Jeffrey Jasowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Rick Childers, Detective Patrolman David Curtis. Sergeant Thomas Wilson, Charlie County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant uh, Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrol Deputy Arnolfo Crispin, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Mike uh, Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police Department. Uh, Patrol Officer, Patrol Deputy Josh Myers, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artif Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant uh, Jerry Flakus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogle, Longbow Cake Police Department. Chief Jerry Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, <clears throat> at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Good night. God bless and have a great week. Shemalek ma'ilama, Shemaheza ilma, Suna shenevorat fed, Hakuig again ma'ilama. Oh.
gentle mean A fiery blade engaged to lead He'd break the bravest in the Thank you. 